0: Our sermon passage today is Titus chapter 2. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith in love and in steadfastness. Older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith, so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope. The appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, who are zealous for good works. Declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you.
1: Our Father and our God. Would you speak to us from your word? Particularly, Lord, rather than us looking to your word to confirm what we already think. Would you cause us to look to your word to be reshaped? And would you, by your spirit, reform who we are around what you have spoken? Lord, we pray you would give us faith. We pray you would give us teachable minds and hearts. And we pray you would lead us by your spirit. We ask all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. You guys may be seated. If you haven't already, please take your Bible and turn to the book of Titus chapter 2. Here at Redeemer, we're working our way through the book of Titus. And our goal, as with so many of these books that we preach, is, is to have the truth of Titus reshape us. To have God's truth revealed in Titus to reorient who we are. And so we right now are spending several weeks in Titus chapter 2. Um, last week, we began looking at this book, or excuse me, this chapter. And, and today and for the next few weeks, we're going to be here in Titus chapter 2. So, read, pray, study. Read, pray, study. Lord, teach me, show me. But here's what we're gonna particularly focus on today this chapter of the Bible is really driving at a simple reality. Following Jesus. Is intended to bear fruit. Following Jesus is intended to bear fruit. And today we want to look at, or we are going to, we might not want to, because it's gonna, it's gonna hurt, but we're going to look at what some an element, a piece of that fruit that is repeated again and again. And again and again. The, the evidence of God's grace in us is transformation, and a particular focus of that transformation is the character trait, self-control. Self-control. Now, well, I, don't, I was about to chase some definitions, but we'll come back to that in a minute. But what we're going to see this morning is that those who know Christ are changed by Christ. And Paul, the author of Titus, is not afraid to point to some desired outcomes in the lives of believers. I think this is an enemy for us. Often, Christian vagueness is an enemy for us. We're gospel people. What in the world does that mean? We do everything for the glory of God. Well, how do you do that? We're about discipleship. Okay, well, what does that look like? So I'm not trying to be overly pragmatic for the sake of being pragmatic. I'm literally wanting us to take what is being spoken in Titus 2 and saying, we will take that up here as well. So Paul is not afraid to point to very clear, tangible, desired outcomes for Christians. But the long and the short of it is this. Christ, walking with Jesus brings salvation and it changes who we are now. And it gives us hope for Eternity. That's that's the point. Now let's look at the passage and let's see what it says to us. Um, first point: If you want to take notes, discipleship has an outcome. Discipleship has an outcome. That at least is what I'm going to. I'm arguing. I'm believing that that this chapter of Titus is telling. So, so. What does it look like to be a disciple of Jesus? I think often we never really answer that question. So we think, well, if I'm in one Bible study, does that make me a good disciple? Or if I'm in two? Or what if I go to one every day? Is discipleship about reading the Bible in the mornings or praying on my car ride or having devotional times with my kids? Like, like which one is it? And this passage is saying it's not so much what we do, frankly, it's not that at all, but it's who Jesus is making us to be. But what this passage is telling us is it's not only fair, but right to ask hard diagnostic questions like, is there fruit of Jesus in my life? Do I see the fruits of Jesus in my family? Do I see the fruits of Jesus in our church or in the small group that I lead? Now, again, I want to really show you that I'm not trying to twist and shape. I'm really just trying to take things at face value. So let's start in verse 11. Start in verse 11. For the grace of God... Has appeared. Now, what Paul is talking about here is the coming of Jesus. The coming of Jesus has made visible and more clearly and tangibly knowable how the grace of God is extended to humanity through his Son who took on sin and death bore the weight of it, and defeated it. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. So why has the grace of God appeared? It's appeared to bring salvation for all people. And the way to read that is this. All people, all the peoples of the world, all the nations of the world, all the ethnicities of the world, all the groups of people in the world. Everyone needs salvation because everyone is by nature a sinner at odds and against God's ways and out for whatever is most joyful in the moment. All the people need deliverance. All the people need forgiveness. All the people need hope. And what the passage says is the grace of God has appeared bringing this salvation for all people. Salvation, forgiveness, deliverance, reconciliation to God are available through Jesus and Jesus only. This cannot be earned. It's not performance-based. It is what God has done for his people. Now, this is really important that we hear this because we're about to start talking about how do we live as the people of Jesus. So hear it clearly. I believe that we are sinners. I believe that our only hope is the blood of Jesus covering our sin. I believe that by Jesus and because of Jesus only, sinful people are forgiven, reconciled to God and called children of God. Now I'm gonna say one more thing. And because of texts like this, I believe that God wants us to be different than we were before we knew Jesus. And I do not believe it's antithetical to say that salvation is by grace through faith and cannot be earned. And then to turn the page in the Bible and say, but you who know grace, you who have the Spirit of God in you, walk by the Spirit, be transformed. Why? Because the Bible says so. So keep going. Bringing salvation for all people, training. Training. And the word for training here is um, like a tutor. Uh, Think the sound of music, okay? Never thought I'd joyfully reference the sound of music. Um, But the young lady who's hired to virtually raise the children, teach their education, teach them manners, teach them how to be people of the house, that's what's in vision with this word, training. It's it's to, to fully raise up. And so what does the grace of God do? It brings salvation and then it trains the saved people, those who've received the salvation, to do two things. To renounce something and to take up something. To renounce means to set aside ungodliness and worldly passions. So to to set aside that which is against God and which drives us away from God. Also, it trains us to live in a certain way, self-controlled, upright, and godly lives when in the present age. Now now get that. If you write in your Bible, underline to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in the present age. What that says is God's saving grace has a vision for his people now. Now, what's the vision? To set aside, to renounce, to get rid of, to stop pursuing those things which are against God, against his word and against his ways and to take up and to pursue, and to be shaped by God and his word and his desires and his ways. Waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of God, of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So what does the grace of God do? It brings salvation. It trains us to live a particular way now, and it causes us to long for Christ's return. That's what the grace of God does. But what I'm really wanting to hone in on, because I believe the chapter's honing in on it, it's it's, it's honing in on that living in a particular way in the present. So Paul says here in verse 11 that this particular way looks self-controlled, upright, and godly. But that's not it, because if you go back to the beginning of the chapter, Verse 1, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Verse 2 talks about older men. And he says, older men, sound doctrine is going to drive you to live in a particular way. Verse 3, older women, sound doctrine's going to drive you to live in a particular way. Verse 5, younger women, sound doctrine's going to drive you to live in a particular way. Verse six, younger men, sound doctrine's gonna drive you to live in a particular way. Verse seven, Titus, sound doctrine's gonna drive you to live and teach and minister in a particular way. Verse nine, bond servants, sound doctrine is going to cause you to live in a particular way. Paul is going to great lengths to say, discipleship bears fruit in people. Discipleship bears fruit in the children of God. The Lord wants to work his grace out in me in such a way that I bear fruit. And you might say, okay, Jamie, like, like, dude, like you kind of talked about this last week, and now you're getting all worked up about it today, Like, what gives? We just don't talk this way, friends. We don't talk this way. We talk about going to church. We talk about reading the Bible. We talk about books that we love. We talk about sermons that we love to listen to on the internet. We talk about things we've learned. We talk about word studies. But we don't talk about the Spirit of God in me is is yielding this type of new thought or this new attitude or this new conviction or this new devotion to the Lord or a willingness to sacrifice for his kingdom. And that seems, I mean, correct me out loud if I'm missing the point, but that seems to be what Paul has in mind in this chapter of the Bible. And so I'm just wanting to Reel that into our vernacular. And I want us to spend a few weeks thinking about it. So the first main thrust of this passage is it is fair, right, and biblical to ask ourselves the question, do I see fruit of God's Spirit in my life? Do I see God's grace bearing fruit in me and in us. And so if this passage is so intent on saying, be different because of God's grace, then I want us to slow down and think about this. So I fully intended to dive in today into older men and younger men and next week into older women and younger women. But I delayed it for a week. Here's why. Because I want you to keep coming back. I'm just, just kidding. That was a joke. I, I delayed it because of something we saw in the passage. There's a theme in every one of these lists. Either self-control is mentioned or implied in every one of them. So Second point is we're going to hone in on one of these transformational things that, that Paul seems to yearn for from all Christians. Second point, grace for self-control. So again, verses 11, 12, and 13, the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation, and training us to live. It says three things, self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. I want to hone in on self-control. You might say, well, why? Well, because if repetition means anything, then Paul is really eager for Christians to be characterized by self-control. Let's just look at the repetition. Verse 2. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled. There it is. Verse Five, excuse me, verse four, train the young women to love their husbands and children to be self-controlled. Now, here's the thing. Who is gonna train the younger women to be self-controlled according to this passage? The older women. So it's implied that Paul is eager for self-control for the older women as well. Verse six, man, there is a whole host of memes to be made here. But men get, younger men get one thing, be self-controlled. That's it. If you can figure that out, you've mastered manhood, okay, which says a lot of negative things about young men. I'm 42, I'm old now. Verse 6, younger men to be self-controlled. And then verse 11, all those, sorry, verse 12, all those who are of God's saving grace, learn to live self-controlled. So again, if repetition means anything, which usually it's a form of emphasis, it's telling us that learning the art of self-control is a fruit of the Spirit. Okay, It's a fruit of the Spirit. It's something that matters deeply in the Scripture. So then that should really drive us to this question. What is self-control? And I just want to put on a theology hat for a minute and say this. I I think our English language fails us because the Scripture actually tells us that self-control doesn't come from within. It actually comes from God's Spirit, okay? But what is self-control? Linguistically, this word means um, with sound mind with mental and emotional composure, not driven by passions and desires. Now that doesn't mean without passion or without desire. It means not controlled by passions and not controlled by desires. It means not impulsive or nor distracted. So the the New American Standard Bible interprets this word as sensible, The New Living Translation interprets it as wisely. But the idea is the Spirit of God does something to a person where that person is no longer out of control, no longer unable to control his words, emotions, or actions. So a great word picture of of this is in Mark chapter 5. There was the demon-possessed man and he said he was many. The demons were many in him. And Jesus came and cast the demons out of the man and into the pigs and all the pigs ran into the lake and died. We know this story. Okay. Mark 5:15. And they came to Jesus and saw the formerly demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion sitting there, clothed and our English translation say in his right mind, but it's the exact same word under control. Under control. He was controlled by the demons. Now he's able to be under control. So the the picture of humanity in the New Testament is we are driven by worldly, apart from Jesus, we're driven by worldly passions, sin dwells within us, and sin controls us. It controls us. Paul might write, did write in Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 through 21, The works of the flesh are sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. We might say, the works of the flesh are humanity controlled by Sin. The works of the flesh are a humanity that is rampantly out of control. So, the vision of what's being laid out here in Titus chapter 2 is that the people of Jesus have been filled with the Spirit of God, have been given a new heart, have been given a new set of desires, and while imperfect, are no longer tossed to and fro by worldly passion, no longer tossed to and fro by impulsive desire and the satisfaction thereof, but with clear mind and clear heart and clear commitment, able to follow Jesus and walk by the Spirit and bear fruit of God's righteousness at work in us. So the control here, we might say, fits better with control by the Spirit, but not controlled by the flesh. The vision of discipleship laid out here is for a humanity, a new people, the people of God who are no longer controlled by the flesh, but of sound mind of clear conviction and able to freely and joyfully turn away from sin and walk in the ways and the word and the desires of God. Now friends, I think this begins to touch on all realms of our life. At the core of addiction is being out of control and grasping for control. The Spirit of God brings control. At the core of anger and malice and strife and lashing out is being so filled with angst that we can no longer control ourselves. But the Spirit of God is coming to work self-control in us. At the core of our anxieties... It's seeing the world spinning out of control because it very much appears to be. And yet, the Spirit of God's presence in us allows us to say, help me, I don't have to spin with the rest of the world. Take Mark 5.15 as a vision. I want to be so freed from sin and rebellion and worldly passion and ungodly desire that I can sit there clothed and in my right mind celebrating who God is, celebrating what God has done, and able to walk with him even in the face of the most fierce and out-of-control storm that I could imagine. I'm not up to the task, but that's the vision of the passage. So what do we do? What do we do? Galatians 5.22 tells us that self-control is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. So we earnestly pray for God, the revealer of His grace through His Son, to work in us faith and hope and love and confidence and repentance and the control of our being such that we don't give in to our desires and our passions, but we are controlled by God and by God's spirit and by what God would desire. Friends, what the world needs to see from us is a people who've met God's grace in the face of Jesus and are being changed tangibly and clearly by it. I'm asking you to pray that the Spirit of God would create this type of self-control in you and in all of us so practically this week I want you to go on a hunt for all the times that you're clearly out of control and just ask the question why I don't think every time we're out of control it's necessarily sin but often it is so go on the hunt and ask why Then I want you to pray and ask the Lord to show you where you're being overly driven by passion and desire. And ask the Lord to replace those passions and ungodly desires with a yearning to walk with the Spirit, to be filled with faith, to be filled with hope, to be filled with love. One last word for anybody under 45 if you're over 45 you're welcome to keep listening let's look back at verse 12 training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled upright godly lives in the present age what this is telling us is that our passions and desires are not sacred they're not sacred So just because we feel it or want it or really, really want it doesn't mean that we're entitled to it and it doesn't even mean that it's good for us. And our generation was discipled on that. If you want it, go after it. and God will help you. If it's of God, Consistent with his word. And consistent with his kingdom. Then pray that he'd put that desire in you. And then he'll help you go after it. But let's not follow our passions and our desires. Let's follow Jesus. Let's walk with his spirit. If you want to think more about this, I I would really encourage you to read and meditate upon Galatians chapter 5, verses 15 through the end of the chapter. The saving grace of God brings forgiveness and transformation. And I'm asking you to long for the transformation Just as much as you long for heaven. I'm asking for you to long for the transformation just as much as you long for this fallen world to be over. That seems to be how Paul is talking about it. I want that for me, I want that for you, I want that for us.